Oh, baby, it's good to see y'all back. Welcome back to another episode of World on Drugs Podcast. I am your man, Steve Fury. If you've never been, you never listened to this podcast, number one, you're starting on part two. Part one is right before. You're going to want to check that out. This still will make sense, but um, it's like going through a movie halfway. Could you do it? Sure. Is it still going to stand up? I don't know. If you went in the movie Heat halfway, would it still slap? Damn right. But the first part adds a little bit of levity and a little bit of history. Uh, this is uh, Memo Fantasma and the Macacao Cartel. You've never heard of them, but guess what, folks? You did now. My guest is Nicole Amy Schreiber. Um, I normally sk- discuss our relationships, but uh, I already said that on the last one. She got past me at the comedy store, one of my best buds, one of the best comics working in L.A. This episode is produced by the one, the only, Gray Livingston. Let's get a synopsis for that ass. Buried within the many stories that exist about Pablo Escobar, there exist two men that took what he started and ran with it in the worst way possible. Carlos Macacao Jimenez and Guillermo Geraldo, a.k.a. Memo Fantasmo, a.k.a. maybe one of the best nicknames in the game, Will the Ghost, were some of the highest-ranking officials in the right-wing paramilitary organization known as the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia, AUC for short. I know it doesn't make sense. It's because it's actually another language. Imagine the worst stories you've heard about crimes committed by any cartel anywhere, and the AUC has done it or something worse. They terrorized Colombia for nearly a decade, fighting both left-wing guerrillas and anyone who they considered remotely connected to them. And in their wake, there rose the largest and most successful drug trafficking empire in the world. The AUC is a best example of what a narco state looks like, and sitting at the top are Macacao and Memo Fantasma. Does that get your dick hard? Or you cl- Okay, I didn't need to say the dick thing. Should just gone with nipples. There's families that listen to this. I mean, honestly, if you're family listening to this podcast, cheers to you. You're a bunch of little psychos. Oh, man, drinking some water. Why am I drinking water? Because I just got off chore with Birdie Boy, Bert Part, Bert, 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 Bert Um, And I need water now because we were turning up. Actually, though, I got to say, I'm going to give a shout out to... uh. Bird on this one, he was focused on losing weight. That was uh, the whole part of the tour, okay? So the deal was he made a bet with us. He says, I'll give you guys 50 bucks for every pound you lose, and for every pound I lose, I'll give you an extra 50 bucks. So, uh, I mean, Stevie Boy wasn't pounding deep fried nachos at 2.30 a.m. It was hard, man. I was just drinking water, still drinking alcohol, but... uh, you know, it's still a it's still a job, dude. It's still uh still gotta still gotta have fun, man. I can't just be a guy going to bed at seven thirty and then next week I find out I'm not on the tour anymore. What do we start getting? So we started exercising, walking a lot, and we got into disc golf, bought some disc golfs, some disc 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 golf discs. I don't know, who knows? It's a made up sport. Um if you don't know what this is, apparently all around us there are disc golf courses. They'll go up anywhere. They'll go up in a cul-de-sac, in a park, in a forest. They look like little uh, chain-link garbage pails. And nerds and fat old people throw Frisbees at them. And that's what we did. And that was pretty fun, man. We started doing it in Sugarland, Texas. Before we get to Sugarland, Texas, I got something I forgot to talk to y'all about. Uh, oh, Stevie Boy did something for Netflix. Is a joke radio. Is that Netflix, the TV? No, it's Radio, man. Come on. Come on, dude. Stop talking about that kind of stuff, bro. Come on, bro. Um, so <laughs> how did I go? Uh, well, I went. Uh, when I got there, they put me last. But luckily, everyone was doing seven minutes. There was only about six of us. So it was maybe 45 minutes into the show. So honestly, a little bit of the sweet spot, you know? You know, it's kind of like a prime rib. You ever, go to, you ever go to Vegas and get a little prime rib dinner? And you, you walk up there and you see the one the piece on the outside and it's a little, little overcooked. Got that red light on too much. Then you go in the middle and you're like, oh, shit. Look at that red and juicy with a little bit of horseradish. And then you look on the ass end and it's the same thing on the front end. Your boy got that, oh, that little red juicy spot with the horseradish. Because 45 minutes is honestly the middle of a show. Normally the show is about an hour and a half. So I went up and um, smashed. I would say I had the best set of the night. Would anyone else? I don't know. They don't matter. 
Uh, nah, man, I think I did pretty good. Everyone did pretty good. Luckily, uh, you know, you're doing something for Netflix, even if it's all the small on the radio thing. Um, there's going to be some good people on it. Uh, the cool thing was, uh, yeah, 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 most people who do it don't move on to specials or don't move on to anything great with Netflix. But most of the people on Netflix had done it. So I think it's a good, good step in the old right direction. Then on December 2nd, I headed out to Austin, Texas. That's where all the Californians are moving. That's where all the Californians are moving. How do I feel about Austin, Texas? God damn it, cat. This cat will not fucking leave me alone. Austin, Texas, it's cool. You know, they don't have insane homeless people everywhere. That's fun. But also, it's Austin, Texas. You're still in Texas. You know, so it's like, it's like a, not there's anything wrong with Texas. All new Texas fans. You know, I'm a California guy. Texas seems fun. A lot of open spaces. Super flat. Super big. Who doesn't like that? Austin's fine. Um, the shows were great, but, you know, we, we were watching our weight, eating a lot of salad bowls, stuff like that. How the shows go there? Pretty good, man. Did pretty good on both of them. Had got to, got to see some of my old friends come out, some of the guys who moved to Austin. Um, saw, saw Joe Rogan, talked to him for a little while. Not on the podcast. We went to On It to watch Burt work out <laughs> with, like, uh, Joe Rogan's trainer. And did I work out in the other room? If you guys know me, take a guess. And no. No, I did not. I went outside and twiddled all my thumbs on my phone for hours on end. Uh, second show <laughs> at Austin was funny. You know what's wild about Texas and wild about Florida? Is if a comedian comes to California and goes, Hi, hi I'm fucking Travis Pastrami from uh, Houston Sugarland." Uh, the crowd, you know what they don't do? They don't boo them. Florida and Texas, when a comedian goes up and goes, hey, I'm from, you hear these boos. It's like, bro, why do you care? It's a, it's a piece of land that people live in. I don't, I'm not mad at you for living in a piece of land that you like the ideals of and you like the topography of and you like the culture of. Why are you mad at me? Just because nah, I'm not going to talk shit. So, second show in Austin, I go, oh, yeah, you know, happy to be here. Lockdown was long in California. They all start booing, and I just I lay into them. I go, ah, shut the fuck up. Most of you fuckers are from California. You're just pretending like barbecue. And it shut them up, and then I proceeded to jam the jokes in their behind, and it did pretty well. Really like Austin. That's a really fun town. Next, we went to Sugar Land, Texas. Now, I'm going to mix up Sugar... No, I know Sugar Land. Sugar Land is Houston. My favorite thing about <laughs> my favorite thing about Texas is uh, we went to these Sugar Land and Grand Prairie. So Sugar Land is Houston, Grand Prairie is Dallas. When you ask the crowd, you're like, oh, so is this Dallas? They're like, hell no, it ain't Dallas. Dallas is 20 minutes away from here. I'm like, dude, that's, that's like a, a mile and a half in L.A. You're the same place. Stop dividing us. Stop dividing yourself from America, Texas. Stop dividing yourself. We ain't Houston. We're that. We're Sugar Land. We're not Sugar Land. We're Ted's Auto Zone. We're not Ted's Auto Zone. I'm guy pooping in the bathroom. Just be part of everybody. Sugar Land was cool. Houston was good. Um, we did a whiskey tasting. Oh no, in Austin, Texas, late at night. Uh, me and Dave were talking shit to Bert saying that we lost weight. And Bert goes, I'll bet you each 100 bucks you didn't lose a pound. Bring out the scale. Me and Dave each had lost two pounds. Bing, bing, bing. Another hundo in the pocket. Another hundo with a locket. I'm going to buy a watch. Let Won't you watch me rock it? Um, yeah, so that was cool. Um, yeah, so that was Houston was fun. We just a lot of uh, during the day, you know, disc golfing, that kind of stuff. Dallas, uh, oh, huge theaters. Houston's out. I'm not, Dallas, you know, is a little, uh, you know, I think some cities I'm better in. Some cities I'm not. Uh, Austin and New Orleans on this run. Loved your boy. Sugarland Grand Perry. You know, a lot of crossed arms. 
lot of people crossing their arms, not enjoying the little little funk juice I'm spitting out. You know, some people just let, um, I don't know, maybe they think what I'm laughing about is not Christian or, or things that I'm joking about aren't aren't proper, but I don't really give a shit. Uh, Dallas, pretty much we did another, we, we did a, we did another course. It was really great. Disc golf course eight. That was fun. Then we went to new Orleans. Let's get to the good stuff. Let's skip on through Houston and Dallas and get to new Orleans. Uh, I got to tell you though, you know, just cause, uh, some of the people didn't like my sp- shows in Sugarland and Grand Prairie. There was a lot of great people who really did. It's just, you know, I don't know if it's the oil barons that were sitting in the front row or whatever, but there's a lot of arms crossing with Stevie boys, old condom and cocaine jokes. Then I went to New Orleans, my first time in the city. If you guys have followed me on Instagram, you may have seen your boy a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a blacked the fuck out. A little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a can't talk. A little bit of a little bit of a slurring his words. Now, okay. That happened also in Minneapolis. Both those, I'm going to say, not my fault. Steve, why don't you take, uh, you know, responsibility for your actions? Okay, well, Minneapolis, like I said last time, that was a private jet. That was a private jet ride. And when Birdie Boy gets private jet rides, he likes to party. Okay, I am a guy who I do not need to drink during the day. I don't need to drink at night. But if I start drinking, I'm gonna drink. Okay, I'm not drinking a couple cocktails. I'm getting drunk. I can drink a couple beers, but if you put me on the hard stuff, I'm going balls deep till however long I need to go. So, before pulling into New Orleans, we leave Houston or Dallas. We're driving. Bert goes, tomorrow we're starting early. We're going to sleep for five hours, wake up at 7 a.m. And I want to make sure that there is our drinks waiting for us. So I'm like, okay, we're partying, right? Because I don't know if you know this about New Orleans. It's an open carry. No, Texas, we're not talking about guns. Though it might be. I have no idea. Uh, they, you can just carry booze around. Just walk around with booze. Fuck yeah, by the way. Can we just do that everywhere? So, did we wake up at 7 a.m.? No, don't be stupid. Did wake up at 11. A little early, right? We were saying 7 so that some of us on the bus who like to go a little hard, everybody on the bus, could take a nap. That's not what happened. Wake up at 11, get going about 12.30. Straight when I wake up before I brush my teeth, we are pounding icy cups of, I did a tequila um, orange juice. They did Bloody Marys. Here's my thing about Bloody Marys. Gross. It's gross. It's gross. I don't like it. Because if you think, oh, let's think about Bloody Mary. Let's take the pieces away, you know? Just like you look at a human being, you say, do I like this guy? One, he's ugly. Two, he's mean. Three, he's fat. Four, he can't do anything to help me. Five, he's mean too, right? You take something apart to know what it's worth. Let's look of Bloody Mary. Number one, tomato juice. Get the fuck out of here with that. Get the fuck out of here with that. Number two, horseradish. I will slap your wife. I will find her and I will slap her in public. Number five, Worcestershire sauce. Not even good on a steak. I'm going to be honest. Better ways to do it. Garlic, butter, thyme, rosemary. Number five, pickled like olives and onions. And then vodka. Ugh. Ugh. So no, I don't want your cold vodka soup in the morning. Your Gestapo, 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 whatever it is. I don't want it. It's gross. I'll take juice, okay? So I walked around literal 32 ounce. Cat, get the fuck out of here. Go away. Literal 32 ounce icy cup filled half with tequila. So I'm starting off balls to the wall. We're walking around. We go into a French restaurant. Also, all I fucking wanted in New Orleans the whole time, and all I wanted on this whole trip was gobs of fresh oysters. Never was able to get them. Still, went to this one place, pretty good, had gator, fantastic. Then we leave. Oh, no, but at that place, we have a hurricane, okay? Starting off. New Orleans is very uh, popular with uh, sugary drinks for morons to drink. So, um... So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so we start off one of those. I have two of the sweetest margaritas I can. So I'm three drinks. I'm three normal human being drinks. W- one icy. Feeling good. But, you know, Stevie boy. 
old iron liver Steve Fury, that ain't going to phase me. I could go work on that. I could go work on the dock. Give me one of those cranes. I'm bringing in fucking, I'll fix the goddamn boats in the ocean. I'll start bringing them in. Give me some booze. I don't care. Um, <laughs> so then we leave that place. Immediately get a thing called the grenade. I tasted this. It tasted like heaven. What did it have in it? Something, something, something. Everclear. So, shot my tits to the moon. Walking around. I'm. Oh, we bought hats. I'm wearing one of the hats now. Uh, kept walking around. Somewhat blacking out. Definitely getting drunker. I pooped in a pre- pizzeria. That's one thing I remembered. Not in the pizza. <laughs> Not in the pizzeria. They had a bathroom. And then we get back to the theater, and it's about 5.45, shows at 7, and I am toasted. But you know what I don't do, folks? I don't fail. I move forward, and if I do fail, I quit, and I never come back again. So I failed, and I'm not going back on tour. They kicked me off. Psych! I go up there, and I. the funny one is <laughs> the first show. So what happens is every show, me and Dave switch opening and going second. And then if you open, the other guy does God of Mike. So that's the guy who goes, this is what I do. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for the birdie bar relapse door? And you wait and you go, oh, you can do better than that. I said, are you ready for the birdie bar relapse door? Keep that energy going for your first comedian, Dave Williamson. And he goes up there. But before I'm even getting on the mic, threw up in my mouth. One of those ones, you know, like like a dog who did the same. Dave's going, and then he introduces me. Me, I go out there, drunk attire. I got a hat. I don't perform on with hats. I got a hat. What are my feet? Crocs. I forgot to put on shoes. I go out there, and boy, do I have a good time. I do pretty good, but I am black the fuck out. It's my turn to bring on Bert. And <laughs> I think I was like, you guys know this, uh, you guys know this next comic from all of his Netflix specials and his podcast with the dude Tom. Please give a big round of applause for... Oh, God, I just threw up my mouth. Bert. <laughs> and Bert comes in laughing his balls off. I walk off stage, immediately lay down. You're like, Steve, in, in the green room? No. On the ground, behind a curtain. Put a <laughs> pound of water bottle, go to sleep, put a hat on my face. Wake up, refreshed, ready to go. Slam a piece of pizza from Fat Boy's Pizza or something like this. This pizza is the size of a small Puerto Rican man. I eat that thing, slam some water, start dancing. Next show about to go. I'm opening. Bing, bang, boom. Crush so hard their local club wants me to come back and headline the weekend. You just got to keep moving forward, folks. From there, we um, we had a couple days off. Oh, and I saw Burt's new movie. Is a movie coming out on Legendary Films. Um, pretty good, man. Am I a little biased? Sure. But am I a liar? No, I'm definitely not a liar. I don't think anyone would say that. They might, they might say I'm too truthful. Um, and he fucking smashed it, man. It was laugh out loud, funny, a lot of jokes. I'm a joke guy. I like jokes per minute. You know, don't ramble. Don't go on with one big punchline at the end. Hit me in the dick over and over. And I got to tell you, Burt's movie tickled my taint. Um, it was great. Came home, (sighs) relaxed. And then last night I went to the Kanye West Drake concert. Gotta say, I was going in thinking that Kanye was going to do the Donda album which, you know, no one's excited for. And he did the exact opposite. He crushed, he did every song you would ever wanted him to do. And in the middle, he brings up Drake. If you don't know anything, they hated each other about two weeks ago for a very long time. And uh, Drake was DMing Kim, trying to fuck her. And Kanye's kind of a weirdo. And then Drake goes up in the middle and does his new album, Certified Lover Boy. After trying to follow, you're going to try and follow Kanye West's hits for the last 15 years with Certified Loverboy, arguably your worst album. 
And also, Kanye, if you ever been to a rap concert, a lot of times they'll just play their song and then go, yeah, trap money, go, yeah. You know, they just do like the ad libs or whatever. Kanye, there's no track underneath. Did this whole thing singing it. And then Drake did the other thing. He was like only singing, wasn't rapping. Drake was awful to the point that I think, I don't know. I don't know. It was a weird situation. Then Kanye came up again. And crushed it again. It was one of the best concerts I've ever been to. Then I come home here. And we're recording podcasts, folks. That's it. That's all we got. Things I want to suggest you see. Go on to HBO Max. They have this new documentary about the crooked police in Baltimore. Listen, do I think all police are crooked? Fuck no. I live in a city right now where the police have turned their back on their citizens. And things are getting terrible. Oh, also, people have done Larry Hoover before. And the the concert, Drake and uh, Kanye concert, was to support Larry Hoover. I thought Larry, I thought Larry Hoover was Huey Newton, the guy from the Black Panthers. Larry Hoover is a terrible human being that deserves to be in jail. Like, listen, you guys have heard this podcast. Who's more pro-criminal than me? I've, I've, some people, I, I hear people getting quartered, and I go, hey, that's a great, you know, that's a great approach to take these, to these farmers. This guy, okay, number one, started the super gang, Gangster's Disciples, okay, back in 1973. Then he murdered a drug dealer. 1973, okay? He's been in jail the whole time. That's, you know, 50-something years. Do I think if that was his, if that was his uh, crime, and he was in uh, prison for 50 years, should at some point he get, get let out? You know, maybe. 50 years is a long time to do, and if you killed another drug dealer, fine. That's not what the problem is here, folks. They did this whole video that Larry Hoover has been in solitary confinement since 1997. Uh, I was like, wow, that's fucked up. This guy killed someone in 1973, spent 16 years in... 26 years in jail, and then they put him in 20 years of solitary confinement? We need to free this man. And then I looked up what he did on a thing called blackpass.org which is an african-american studies website so i don't think the most biased one in the world did i look who was funding it or anything no but it looked to be run by black people i don't know and it seemed like it it looked to be something that would be more on the side of larry hoover hey folks do you know why larry hoover is in solitary confinement for the last 20 years it wasn't that he was speaking up for african-american rights or or demanding change in the prison system he was running the Gangster Disciples, one of the worst gangs in the world, the one he created from inside, and he was doing cocaine deals with the Mexican Mafia to the cartel. Guys, that's why you go in solitary confinement. I don't know if you guys know this. I don't know if I've done enough of these prison ones. You know the guy, leader, leader of the Aryan Nation? Solitary confinement. You know the guy, leader of Mexican Mafia? Solitary confinement. Do you know Why? Because they run gangs. And you know what else? They still run them from solitary confinement. Do I think that there are a large, not a large, and of all the prison system, I think it's millions of people in there. Do I think there's a hundreds and hundreds that are in there wrongfully? I think there's someone in Alabama that someone else who did the crime right now just said that they did it and the man shouldn't be in jail and the government didn't pardon him. Yeah. I think there's wrongfully accused people, people in, in, in jail for selling large amounts of marijuana, people in jail for selling cocaine, people in jail for selling, you know, hallucinogens for years longer than they should be. Let's fight for those people. Larry Hoover is a piece of shit. Oh, oh, in the last, what, 1996? Is that 20 years? No, it's less than 20 years. It's like 15 years. Oh, you found yourself in the last 15 years while you're in solitary confinement? I'd find myself too. I'd find myself any place in the fucking world. I'd say I was fucking Chinese if it would get me out. No, sir, you do not get to come out. If you would have done, if you would have killed a drug dealer in 1973 and that was your crime and you'd been being a good person since then, I think you would have got out on your own and you wouldn't need Kanye and Drake to help fight you. But, sir, you created one of the worst criminal organizations of all time. You ran it for an extra 
20 years while in 26 years while in jail. No. You were already on three strikes. You added four. You're done. Let's bring someone else up here, man. There's other people that have been wronged by our justice system. There are other people that have been serving too much time. When, if this man isn't one that deserves to be in jail for the rest of his life, who is? I mean, there's girls. There's women who have killed the men who were sex trafficking them. And they're in jail. And you, you want to free this guy? What the fuck are we doing, people? And listen, you know I'm not, you know, you want to be right wing? That's fine. I wouldn't say I'm left wing. I'd say I'm somewhere more in the middle, definitely leaning left. But if you listen to this podcast, who is more sympathetic to criminals than me? I mean, there are some people, you know, self-defense lawyers. But I'm on their side most of the time, and I see their point of view. It ruined the concert for me. I would have bought one of this. So if you've never been to a Kanye West concert, he has limited edition merch that he sells at the concerts that are pretty expensive. Like a t-shirt's 100 bucks, But that's not the thing, okay? It's like saying it's like saying a stock is 100 bucks, but when you buy it, it's going to quadruple and triple. So the shirt last night probably would have been $1,000 selling it uh, maybe on StockX. I didn't want to invest in that. I gave up probably $1,000 just to not give money to this man. Listen, if you are listening to this podcast... And you think I am missing something on Larry Hoover. Like maybe he broke out of prison, got a cape, flew into a burning orphanage, saved 50,000 orphanages, and and changed Flint, Michigan's water. Okay, we might be starting. I would love to hear it. Okay? Send me something. DM me on Instagram. You know my Instagram, at Scuba Steve Fury. I'm always open to learn about things. But the research I did, which was from an African-American studies website and a, and a Wikipedia and a few other things, I'm going to say that guy's cooked. He's done. Throw him away. All right, everybody. That is the podcast. Uh, I don't know if I did what you guys should watch yet. There is a new documentary about Cricket Police uh, in Baltimore on HBO Max. It is excellent. Steve, I don't want to put another 10 hours in some fucking documentary. It's not. It's an hour and a half. And... um Boy, it's scary, boy. It is scary to see. Uh... Okay, essentially, we'll get into this. Let's talk about this real quick, folks. Even though this this beginning part's almost 30, 45 minutes. Essentially, there are the gun trap task force in Baltimore that's tasked with getting guns off the street. So in Baltimore, if you have a drug charge on you, my buddy's from Baltimore, you can't, uh, who was a drug dealer in Baltimore, you can, the police can come to you and say, hey, you bring us some guns, we'll let you get off with this crack distribution thing. So you bring them seven, you know, two, three pistols, and you don't go to jail. Is that a good thing? Yeah, that's not that bad. Honestly, I kind of like it. You know, you know, once or twice you do that, you don't get caught your third time, okay, you go to jail. Because what's more important, people doing drugs or people shooting each other? I'm going to go shooting each other. So they do that. But this gun traf- task force then starts ta- targeting drug dealers and then... Um, faking films like they'll go in steal half the guy's money reset up the apartment break in with cameras again and it shows that only half the money's there and they return half that money and I know what you're thinking who gives a fuck you know who cares if these police steal a little bit of money they're underpaid it's drug dealers real drug dealers not guys like guys selling heroin crack and meth that's a re- to me a real drug dealer Um, you know me but when I was a kid party supplier that's what I would look at that but the problem is, folks, when you get a taste, just like me drinking alcohol, you got to keep going. And that's what these guys did, man, you know. They're getting 15, 20K a day to split up with your buddies. But then after a while, the well's running dry. And you got to start planning drugs on people to get their drug money. And then you got someone that might be ratting on you, and you got to do something about it. I'm going to leave the rest up to you guys to watch that uh, doc. Excellent. Excellent one. Next week, we are doing the Lisa Traeger episode, all about Woody Harrelson's dad, Mofos. This guy, I don't know if you've heard about it. A couple people have done some stuff about him, but I was going to do it anyway. Um, He might have had a hand in killing JFK. If you don't know Lisa Traeger, she has a uh, Netflix special, Conan, Comedy Central, Uh, one of my good homies. Uh, I'm excited to have her on. 
recording live at the podcast studios in the comedy store basement. All right, guys, thank you very much. This episode is part two of the Macacao and Memo Fantasma cartel with my guest, comedian, and good friend, Nicole Amy Schreiber. Toodaloo, bitches! Nineteen ninety eight, Carlos Macaco Jimenez and Memo formed the Central Bolivia Block, the BCB, which quickly became the most powerful fighting division in the AUC. The BCB alone was responsible for the slaughter of anywhere between ten thousand and fifteen thousand human beings. In the year two thousand, Castellanos hosted the fourth summit of the AUC leaders at their one of their properties. So it's the one that uh, Macaco and uh, memo met at in 1992 these guys you know throwing these parties again these parties pretty much happen every two years in 1992 1994 1996 they all get together and talk this is where they all took all these like rival weird little paramilitaries and combined them into one big one i bet that was a pretty good time you know all these guys meeting up uh what was one of the best parties you've ever been to best part i mean i've been to a lot of parties i can't really say there's one that was you know, probably like there's a couple like high school ones. Ugh, they, it's not necessarily like they were great parties. It was just kind of like the shit that happened because of the parties. I remember there was this one party where this guy, I can't remember his last name was Spencer. He was kind of like the alcoholic of our high school. Yeah. And anytime something happened at a party, everyone would always be like, Spencer, Spencer did it. So I remember one morning we, Okay, so we all went to this party. I slept over at a friend's house. The next morning, we're driving back to the house to go get somebody's car who had left left it at the house. And we see in a pile of leaves that kid Spencer on a kid's tricycle <laughs> passed out. And uh, <laughs> he had stolen the neighbor's tricycle. <laughs> And decided he was going to try and ride it home and then eventually fell off. He was on a sidewalk, fell off onto somebody's front lawn and was just and just ended up going to sleep in a pile of leaves. I think this the best parties because I wasn't a drinker, so it wasn't like I was doing anything stupid. Uh, but it was it was just watching other people do stupid shit. And then I remember there was one party where I walked in and there was a contortionist sucking his dick on a bed of nails. Wow. Okay. Was that an LA party? LA guess. party. Yeah. I think they're doing that in Michigan. Yeah, yeah they're not Detroit. doing that in Michigan. That's an LA party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2001. The bloodshed unleashed by the AUC, as well as their strength and control of the drug trade, lead them to being put on the U.S. list of terrorist organizations. February 2001. The BCB took over an oil refining city called Baron Cabrera. B-A-R-R-A-N-C-A-B-E-R-M-E-J-A, a stronghold of the Marxist National Liberation Army. They offered the guerrillas the same choice being offered to rival gangs at the time, join or die. In the subsequent weeks, they executed every member of the guerrilla forces, leaving their bodies in the streets. Wow. Makako and, and Memo really hit the ground running, you know. In under 10 years, they are 30K strong, taking over the cocaine trade and whipping, wiping out rivals, strongholds. A couple of best buds. Who was one of your best buds as a kid, and how do you still know? Do you still know each other? Um, As we established earlier, I yep. keep in touch with everyone. Uh, one of my best buds when I was a kid was my friend Cindy Phillips. We're still really good friends. Um. Cindy was, we were both just like the very, very tall, skinny, awkward. Mm -hmm. She was a little more quiet than I am, but um, she was a best bud. We went through slutty phases at the same time. Nice. Um, what, what, what year were you guys doing the slutty stuff? Uh, Probably college. Okay. College and then into the 20s. And I think she met a guy. Yeah, she met her husband when she was late 20s or early 30s. Um, but yeah, there was her. Um, I mean, everyone I, you know, grew up with, I'm still pretty much friends with. Kate Tallarday, Sarah Balgonorth. Are you um, friends with your exes? Because I'm pretty good. I mean, other than me being in a relationship and I don't contact them. But if I'm outside of a relationship, I could probably still bang like 50% of my exes. If my exes were yeah, like, single, yeah, oh yeah, I could fuck anybody. Yeah, I mean, I'm a woman; I could fuck anybody. 
Yeah, but it's, I mean, sometimes it's like you have a. There's like this is a fucking like I talked to some people the other day and it's like no no I block everyone oh, I never no. see them again. No, I don't. I mean, th- there's one ex I blocked because he he started dating a girl who at, this was ten years after we dated. He started dating a girl who refused to let him be friends with me. Yeah, I mean, I don't want my girlfriend hanging out or being friends with any of her exes. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to fuck your fucking that guy anymore. Ew, I was in a bad place when I fucked him to begin with. He was tiny and annoying and had so many opinions. And it's just like, shut up already. It was like dating a woman. Yeah, it was like dating a woman. Yeah, he had an okay dick. Okay, but so anyways. But no, I don't wanna I don't wanna be friends with my exes. But it's possible. I will I'll be people. friendly with them. And we do you so I, I normally have an amicable breakup it's kind of like a hey didn't work out i've only ever had one bad breakup how'd that go that's that's the i don't talk to him anymore okay. all right so we're gonna do a summary right now of what just happens bringing us up to about 2003 and then we're gonna go into some of their war crimes and then we'll be out of here okay. great job so far thank you the so much toppling of the notorious medellin cartel while potentially eliminating the single most dangerous individual only worsen the country's security situation as a whole. And we see this in every fucking country, in America, anything. People think when you take out the top guy, that's going to eliminate everything else. But a lot of times the top guy is kind of like the mama bird and he's keeping things kind of in-house. In, in mm-hmm. And then when you cut off the head, it just splinters and ruins everything. The Cassano brothers quickly took advantage of the scattered and relatively weak rival drug traffickers and in four years had recruited enough of them to form a paramilitary army that had complete control over 30% of a country. Their goal at the time was to take over fertile areas of the country known for growing cocoa plants, secure the plant, and in turn create a drug trafficking lanes that allow them to streamline the process. Their modus operandi was to perpetrate acts of terror and war crimes and by the 2000s these acts led to some 4.7 million people becoming internally displaced the largest in the world until syria recently took that title unbelievable they struck fast and they struck hard in 1997 they committed at least 155 massacres now a massacre is uh when you kind of quarter somebody and just they, do kind of weird they shit. quartered 155 people in 1997 and in 150 cases of torture in 1997 and those are just what was reported in the first 10 months of 2000 the AUC conducted 804 assassinations 203 kidnappings and 75 separate massacres leading to the death of another 507 People. How sad was the statistician keeping track of all these numbers? <laughs> you just just writing all. This, it's just so sad. I mean, that's a lot. It's probably just like a dinging thing. Ding. All right, that's uh, that was a massacre. Dong. That's a. How kidnap. do you think he was counting them on his fingers with an abacus? Do you think he was plugging? Yeah, it was an abacus. Computer? Probably it was that one thing that uh-huh, you move things uh-huh. around. The founding of the Central Bolivia Bloc was essential to achieving all of this, and with each successful attack, Macaco and Memo were taking more territory, producing more cocaine, and feeding that ravenous war machine. Damn, hell of a year for those guys. They set out to take over the fertile lands for production, and they took over everything by any means necessary and met their goal. What's one time in life that you reached your goal? Oh, 10,000 steps every day. I reach my 10,000 step goal, baby. Yeah, still doing the 10K? Where are, you uh, walking? Yeah. Where are you walking your 10K? I mean, I've been walking 10K, by the way, since I got my Apple Watch because somebody like laid out that challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, So I would say I've been doing the 10K walk for about maybe four years. Um, But, you know, I, I'll get my, my steps in any way I can. By the way, I calculated it's about five hundred steps on stage. Like when you're when you do when I do a set, I like pace for about five hundred set five hundred steps. Really? Mm-hmm. I haven't even checked out mine. That's a good one to know. That's a good. It's a fun one because yeah. you're like, am I efficient on stage? Am I doing jokes? Am I am I reaching my goals? Am I working out? Um, because you know, I think the one thing we've learned is that it doesn't matter how funny you are, how smart you are. It really just matters how attractive you are. 
That's not true. There's a lot of attractive. If anything in Hollywood comedy scene, we've seen a lot of attractive women be dog shit. And not I'm really kidding. Go that far. But um, and then they can I, do a Brian, I think it's, imp- I think it's important shows. to be in shape and feel like you can accomplish something with your body. Yeah, I mean, I would feel better if I was in shape. But also, there's guys. Every- you look at the bunch of the biggest comedians in the world. They're not in shape. What? Burt Kreischer's not in shape? And then uh, Tom's not really in shape. Theo's not really in shape. Straight up, Tom, Stone Cold Fox. Yeah, Tom's pretty good now. Tom is, Tom is, Tom Segura, I think, in my opinion, is the the zaddy. Of comedy? Of comedy. Thousand percent. I used to like Theo a lot more. But, you know, whatever. The division of labor in the AUC and the BCB was clear. Makaka was in charge of the military end of operations, and Memo was in charge of the money and the drug trafficking. The two were equal parts. One was the money and one was the muscle. But Macau was more widely known to both members of the UA, or the AUC and people around the globe. Memo, living up to his moniker, Will the Ghost, chose to keep his identity a secret and signed official BCB documents with the name Sebastian Colomineres, um, only once in a while. Just a couple of psychos who made each other and made the world who met each other and made the world worse. Who's your best friend right now, and how do y'all meet? Um, I would say my friend Sari is probably one of my closest friends. And my friend Alex, again? who's living. Sari? Sari, S-A-R-I. It's a Jewish name? No, it's, 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 I don't know. I've never met anybody with her name. Okay. Uh, her, my friend Cody. Uh, Sari I met through friends from home. Cody I met through a friend out here. And then Alex is my friend from camp. I would say those are like the three closest girls in my life right now. Oh, the girl you're living with is from camp. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I met her cool. at 11 years old at camp. At camp. I got to. Those are my homies. Just like and doing just doing dumb shit. We just do the dumb, dumb stuff together. Alex, the one I'm living with right now, just silly, silly laughing all the time. I think laughter really is the key to everything. Yeah, laughter is pretty great. I mean, if you have a relationship with someone and you're laughing, like there's so many dull people in the world. I'm just like, what do y'all do? What are y'all doing? It's just interesting. Listen, I don't think you need to have an opinion on every single thing. I was with this friend of mine. I was in Austin last week and I was walking with her and she was like, is it exhausting in your brain? And I was like, what? And she's like, she's like, you're just constantly thinking all the thoughts. And I was like, yeah, I guess that is. But I feel like that's what being a comedian is. Like, you're just always thinking so many thoughts about everything. Like, we have opinions I don't have opinions about necessarily every yeah, single thing, but I do have opinions about a lot of things more than the average bear. Um, so I tend to gravitate towards people like that. Between 1997 and 2001, they had produced 100 tons of cocaine. In 2000, the wholesale price of kilo of cocaine was 29000 That's a good deal, which means that Makako and Memo could have earned somewhere between $2.9 billion. After 2001, there's no record of how much cocaine the pair produced, but the BCB was continually expanding until 2006, so it would be safe to assume that it was another 100 tons. So that's, you know, borderline $6 billion that they can spend on machine guns. $6 billion? What year was this? Uh, 2000, and then they went to about 2006. So with inflation... Yeah, I don't know how inflation works, but it's a lot more. Yeah, and they're buying like tanks and like things yeah, like yeah. that, like weird shit. So that's about the end of their story until they start being brought down. I'll do the brought down on my on my own end. Okay. But we're going to go through a couple of their war crimes. Ooh, I love a sexy war crime. So I'm going to go first. You can go second. We'll switch off reading. Perfect. Example of massacres. October 27th, 1996. 60 AUC members seized the village of Media Luna and cut the telephone lines. They then execute seven residents and kidnap another seven who were never found. Before leaving, they painted machine guns on the walls with the letter letters ACCU. Painting machine guns is a little petty. What's one of the first com- crimes or have you ever committed a crime? I've toilet papered houses. I was that kid. I toilet papered houses. I, I, um, I salami and bologna sliced. If you put a uh, slice of ham or bologna or whatever on a car and the paint will peel off. It'll wow, eat through, it'll I never heard that paint. one. Yeah. Um, and then egging egging houses, cars, all that. Once one time I tamponed a car. We dipped uh um a bunch of tampons in um red Kool-Aid and then threw it all over some guy's car. 
And then I peed on a car. I shit on a car. You pooped on a car? I pooped on a car. I pooped on the hood of a car. That's um, pretty bad. What 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 happened? This to guy cheated on my friend. So I pooped on the hood of his car. Um one time um in like third grade, I think. I took a bunch of nails and I lined them up behind all of the cars of the teachers. So all the teachers got flat tires. That's good. That's a good one. Um, it was a good one. I like that one. And then, yeah. All right. You can read this one. December 3rd and 4th, 1996. 30 members of AUC enter the town of Coloso and immediately execute a police inspector and two others. On the second day, they set up a roadblock outside of the town and detain seven travelers, four of which were killed on the spot. Later that day, later that same day, they surrounded a party and detained 30 people, announcing announcing they would clean the area of gorillas before releasing them and continuing to a village down the road. At the second village, they immediately executed two men and left their bodies in the streets before then killing seven more. Many of the victims were found with their hands bound behind their backs and multiple shots to the head. Shortly after this, 350 farmers fled the area in fear. Golly. That I was just, an... I mean, I just came. Yeah. you. That's, that's how I got <laughs> They had me at 350 farmers fleeing in fear. Ugh, running away from a land that they brought. This was an execution just to get the fertile land they lived on. These guys, these farmers just wanted to live where they were. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? I would like to take these farmers' property since they fled it. Can I take that? By the way, I love how hack these fucking macacow and fucking uh, Will the Ghost um, are they're 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 killing people the way the Nazis killed the Jews? Yeah, like you couldn't even come up with a fucking fun new way to kill people. Um, but if I could truly live anywhere, it was somewhere in the mountains, Montana I, or what? Man, it's just random mountains anywhere. I you know big big mountains. I want maybe Switzerland, oh, the Alps. Shit. Okay. I'd like some Alp action. Okay. Uh, Colorado. I really love Colorado. So mountains. I eventually would like to one day retire in the mountains. Yeah, I'm planning on going to. Uh, Montana. I want to buy something in Montana. May 6, 1998. Macacau's unit of the AUC invade Bataran Cabermeja. Wow. Do that again. C-A-B-E-R-M-E-J. Bataran Cabermeja. For the first time, killing 11 residents and detaining another 34. While human rights leaders protested and called on authorities to investigate, the AUC circulated a threat naming the president of the Regional Committee of the Defense of Human Rights a military target for allegedly working with guerrillas, a.k.a. saying the human rights leaders that were protesting it, they said, if we ever find your leader here in this country, we're going to fucking kill him. Okay. You can read the next one. July 15th to July 20th, 1997. The AUC... Slow down a little bit, though. Oh. The AUC flew to the town of Mapi... Mapiripan? Mapiripan? Mapiripan. Mapiripan. Uh, on a chartered plane, 200 heavily armed members entered the town and rounded up local authorities who they forced to join them. They detained residents and everyone who arrived to the town by boat and then took them to the local slaughterhouse. They bound, tortured, and executed anyone who s- anyone they saw as sympathetic to the guerrillas. The first victim they killed was hung from a hook in a slaughterhouse, and AUC members quartered his body again, fived his body before throwing him in the river. At least two other men were decapitated. A local judge who fled the region reported being able to hear people's screams for five days straight. In a letter he wrote to local authorities, he said each night they kill groups of five to six defenseless people who are cruelly and monstrously massacred after being tortured. The screams of the people are audible, begging for mercy and asking for help. Notably, this was one massacre where the official Colombian army and police units were fully aware of the events happening and, and, and in the nearby area, but did nothing to stop them. When interviewed after the massacre, massacre Castaño denied reports of torture, but said they would there would be many more mapiripans. Mapiripans. Damn. They fucked that place up. They say the Colombian army didn't do anything because they were scared. Was there ever something you were scared about that led you to not taking a a risk that you regret to this day? I regret not starting comedy earlier because I was scared. What age did you start it? I can't say that because then it will reveal my real age. Okay. Well, we'll keep going. I I wish I would have started in my 20s. 
Like oh, early wow. 20s. Oh, have you been maybe doing stand-up less time than I have? I don't know. I'm at about 10. Me too. Okay. February 21st, 1996. Eldilma Ocampo and Stella Gill, mother and daughter, were seized at their home by AUC paramilitaries. The paramilitaries bound them and accused them of being guerrillas before they beat them and decapitated them both. Afterwards, their torsos were cut open and Gil, the daughter, was placed on top of her mother. I don't know why I'm laughing. That's the fucking gnarliest thing I've ever heard. The paramilitaries told the other villagers that they had six months to completely abandon the village or they would be killed in a similar manner. Keep in mind, these guys are going in these places so that they can steal their cocaine manufacturing land. Land. Huge statement to wow. make. Wow. Wow. Have you ever given someone an ultimatum like that or any ultimatum? No, have you? No. Not or even an ultimatum I'm... like I have I have before I've dated a girl. Oh, I got one. I dated a girl, pretty good relationship. Uh-huh. She just had a problem with lying, but not lying. She was a liar. She was a liar, but not lying like did you fuck some guy today? But uh-huh. lying like I'll just go this is the one I remember. The last straw that broke the boat. Uh I walk into her room. She has a poster on her bed. Uh She goes, oh, I just went to my parents' house and got this new poster for my house that had a kid. And I go, okay, cool. Okay, we're living together. Uh I walk out to the garbage and there's a a poster tube, brand new, that she just bought online. And it's like. So she's she was one of those weird liars. She was just a compulsive liar that liked to lie about things. Yeah, like obviously, if you, I'm a very chill person. I don't give a fuck what you buy a poster. You don't gotta lie to me. It's your money. Buy whatever you want. Did you confront her about this? This was the last straw, and I was like, "Why did you lie about this?" And she's like, "I don't know." And I was just like, "Okay, this is the last one." I mean, yeah, that's it, it, fucking like weird. Before. That's a weird lie. I uh, even a malicious lie, I would understand before that. It's like, what is the point? Oh, of that? There's nothing worse than someone who lies about dumb shit. This Anyhow, June 11th, 1996, a mentally handicapped man named Hector Correa was in his house when paramilitaries broke down the door, dragged him into his living room, and shot him in front of his mother. Later that day in the same town, a teacher was shot and killed, as well as Correa's cousin, who had been shot from the ladder where he was painting a house. Before leaving, they told residents, this is just the beginning. God damn. This is just the beginning. It's such a gnarly thing to say. So dramatic. When did you begun, begin comedy and why? I began comedy late 20s. Late 20s. Um, I began it because I, uh, I was sick of being the funny girl at the water cooler. I wanted to be the funny girl on stage. What was your job? What were you doing? Worked in advertising. I always thought I'd be good at that. You'd be good at it. Like, I think I could write, like, funny commercials. Quit, quit. You'd write quippy copy? That's what it's called? called copy yeah yeah you'd write quippy copy dude i when my ex was it worked for uh apple in the advertising and then she would bring around her fucking the creatives mm-hmm. those guys are fucking lame and they act like they're artists and you're not a fucking artist you're selling kias and shit oh i would f- fight with these guys all the time because it's a very broy atmosphere oh a- advertising yeah the broiest and then their their creatives act like artists uh-huh it's like, you're not an artist. Some of them are. Most of them aren't. The fuck out of here. The fuck out of here. February 27th, 1997. 60 armed and the uniformed AUC soldiers arrived at the town of Viejo and set up three machine guns on tripods facing the town. That's got to be a bad day. They indiscriminately strafe the town with bullets. That means just going across on a just- straight line. Before capturing 20 residents, they accuse of supporting guerrillas. Accused. I love how they can just make an accusation and that's it. That's all. There's it's, literally, they're, they're, what is it, judge, jury, and executioner? They're Judge Judy. Imagine Judge Judy with three machine guns. <laughs> Everyone else was given three days to leave the area. The paramilitary sacked every house, and after finding a military uniform in the house of Marino Lopez, they took him to the nearby river, cut off one arm and one leg. They then decapitated him and threw his body in the river. Residents told humanitarian Do you think workers, they cut off an arm and a leg on the same side of the body, or you think they went opposite sides? I think they wanted to even him out. You know, let him <laughs> try and swim in a straight line. Because if you cut off just both sides, you're just going to swim in circles. Yeah. Residents told humanitarian workers that the paramilitaries kicked around Lopez's head like a soccer ball. 
before discarding it. Last crime, May 7th, 1997. By the way, good question to ask your, me about that is, they, they kicked around his head like a soccer ball before discarding it. What's the worst thing you've ever thrown away? Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. What's something that you you've, kicked what's away? What's something that you've thrown away that you regret throwing away? <laughs> May 17th, 1997, three men traveling on a public bus were stopped at an AUC roadblock and forced to get off the bus. Their bodies were doused with corrosive liquid that caused their skin to peel off, and then they were killed. What's the worst sunburn you've ever yeah. had? <laughs> SPF. What are you going with? All right, that's uh, your part of the pod. I'll finish the last part by myself. Just a little bing, bang, bango. Thank you very much for coming in, Nicole. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Uh, Fury, I, I love you. Love you too, buddy. means a lot. Thank you to Comedy Store, Podcasts, everything here. Thank you to everybody. My man, John Skosis. See you guys next time. Bye. Timeline, justice, and or peace. 2003, the AUC and the Colombian government reached their first deal to begin to disarm. 2004, the most important members of the AUC get together and sign the Unity for Peace document. Within it, different elements of the paramilitary army announce their intention to work together and negotiate peace with the government. Among those who signed the document were Carlos and Vicente Castellano, Adolfo Paez, the successor to uh, Pablo Escobar, Macacao, and Sebastian Colomenares, Memo Fantasma, and three other top generals of the AUC. July 21st, 2005, the Colombian Congress approved a demobilization law that gave paramilitaries almost everything they asked for with regards to lighter sentencing. Jesus. 2006, the Justice and Peace Court begins. This was the heart of the peace agreement between the government and the AUC. Those that told the truth to the Justice and Peace Tribunals would receive a maximum of eight years in prison, no matter how horrific their crimes, and be protected against extradition. Macacao officially surrendered at the end of 2006 at these courts, and that year, 7,000 BCB members surrendered their weapons. May 7, 2008, Macacao was accused of continuing to run his drug trafficking networks. And he, along with 14 other top AUC leaders, are extradited to the U.S. to face court here. Not a good sign, buckaroo. In the trial that followed, he was sentenced to 30 years imprisonment without the possibility for bail. I would have said skin him alive, but that's just me. That's just me. It's not like he's ever going to get out again. March 2021. Macacao was released after serving 13 years of his sentence and sent back to Colombia where he testified at the Truth Commission. He was denied amnesty upon his arrival because of his refusal to stop trafficking drugs in 2008. June 25th, 2021. Memo, a.k.a. Will the Ghost, is arrested by Colombian authorities in Bogota. His real name was Guillermo Leon Azevedo Geraldo, and he was one of the only original leaders of the AUC that had not been jailed or killed. Hey, name did pretty good, right? The man remained a ghost and remained at large for... Fucking 14 years longer than everybody else? More than that. Yeah, almost uh, 15 years longer than everybody else. Good job, Memo. Hopefully it doesn't work out for you, you psychopath. Summary of justice and or peace. It was 2003 when the AUC and the government first began discussing a demobilization of troops and a disarming of the paramilitary. But it wasn't until the Unity for Peace was signed in 2004 that actual results started taking place. Macacao, Memo, and everyone else that matter in the AUC formally agreed to seek peace with Colombia and the administration of then-President Alvaro Uribe. Their hope was that they could obtain deals that would allow them to avoid extradition to the U.S. for drug trafficking, and for the most part, they were pretty successful. Thousands of paramilitaries started turning weapons and entered government reintegration programs and towards the end of 2004, the trend accelerated rapidly as five blocks entered the demobilization process simultaneously. Dude, imagine that. Imagine going from living in the woods, in the jungles of Colombia, or wherever else they're at, and you have to, one, go to jail, or two, get reintegrated back into society. On June 24, 2005, the Colombian Congress approved a demobilization law that gave paramilitaries full exemption from extradition if they told the truth. Corny. What does that even fucking mean? And it asked for nothing in return from the AUC. The motto of President Uribe was peace without impunity, justice without surrender. 
bullshit coming out of my mouth. Under the new laws, the government also drastically reduced the investigations into the group's active crimes, and the worst crimes committed by the commander of the groups will yield sentences of about two years, most likely served in agricultural colonies, bro. Imagine that. Strafing with bullet fire, quartering human beings, burning them alive, and you get two years. Oh, man. This agreement was met with ire from the public as they saw nothing but a free pass given to soldiers that had terrorized them for nearly a decade. The demobilization efforts focused on disarming and giving benefits to paramilitary troops, but made no real effort to determine whether these troops are responsible or accountable for serious crimes, to uncover any of their past abuses, or even provide reparations to the victims and their families. Or even just say, yeah, I'm the guy who fucking killed your, your family. I'm a bad person. It also did nothing with regards to the underlying structure and financial systems that gave the groups enough power to take over what they already had. Their drug trafficking infrastructure was not touched. Should we all just go to South America and start committing crimes? Honestly. Honestly. It seems if you make an... I mean, look, you'll go to America too. What's the difference? You know, I'm talking shit about these guys that that people that are... Uh, Rich, essentially rich people using their power to not get in trouble or reduce it to drastic amounts. Whereas in America, instead of drug dealers, they're people who run giant companies. The actual court sessions where the paramilitaries were tried were called the Justice in Peace Courts. And it was here that Macacao finally surrendered and his BCB army demobilized. Notably, Memo was not present at any of the Justice and Peace Courts because the name that he had written on the Unity for Peace document was not his true name. <laughs> Over 30,000 AUC troops demobilized following, following the Justice and Peace Courts. How great is that? Just an old school switcheroo. Nothing fancy. Nothing good, just an old John Hancock of John Hancock. As mentioned before, even with the official demobilization of the troops, nothing was done in terms of dealing with the massive amount of drug trafficking. The fields remained, the routes remained, and if nobody else, at least Memo, had all the money they had earned over the course of their reign. The government treated it like a victory, seemingly not realizing the paramilitaries and guerrillas that fought for so long were far more than a collection of armed individuals fighting for a political cause. They're extremely sophisticated and powerful, a mafia-like organization largely motivated by profit. And because of that, Macacao was able to run a piece of it for two years while in jail. Continuing to rug the drug trafficking ring meant that he forfeited his right to not be extradited, and he was quickly sent to the U.S. where he earned a 30-year sentence. And we know how that ends. Fast forward to March of this year, and he was sent back to Colombia to testify in the Truth Commission which was another court looking to separate criminal acts committed by organizations in the country. He had been refused admission to Colombia's paramilitary amnesty programs and is now looking at 40 years in jail. Lock him up, throw away the key, strife him with a nail gun, quarter his balls. And at the end of it all, even Memo, Will the Ghost, was caught. For the last 15 years, he had been living as a wealthy businessman traveling between Spain and Colombia, thinking he had escaped his time in the AUC, but just five months ago, he was arrested. I mean, okay, not that bad. I mean, I mean, not these people did terrible things, but their punishment, at least they got caught. Why would you keep, if you're Memo, why are you going back to S S South America? You just, it's your ego. Bro, I would be in fucking Norway, eating pickled herrings with the girls and the, and the gefilke fish for the boys. I would, you wouldn't see me next to a jungle for the rest of my life. I'd go get the Sammy Sosa skin-dying treatment, and I would look like a goddamn pickled herring on some iceberg in Greenland. But we're not dealing with human beings. We're dealing with sociopaths, evil fucking people. Well, guys, that's the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to give a shout-out to Nicole Amy Schreiber. Um, probably already told you earlier why this episode's a little late. Guys, I'm on tour, doing arenas. What do you want me to do? This is hard. 
Okay, there's no internet when you're traveling in the middle of Texas for 12 hours. Texas big. Don't know if you know that one. Want to give a shout out once again to my producer Gray Livingston. Another banger. What do we got coming up, folks? Do you even want to ask? Do you even want to know? Well, here's this one. Ever heard of this one, folks? Woody Harrelson's dad. What? What do you mean, Woody Harrelson's dad? What did he do? Uh, maybe uh had a hand in killing JFK. Eh, maybe a mafioso. Eh, maybe a fantastic episode. So, what did Joe got me? You ever heard of the, y- y'all, y'all cats ever heard of the Kenahan cartel? I doubt you did, buddy, because that's what we do on this podcast. I got the best producers, I got the best research team, and I am getting better. Kenahan cartel is a group out of Dublin that took part in the most violent gang war in the history of Ireland. Okay, who is this guy? I don't know. Does he back Tyson Fury, heavyweight champ of the world? It's believed so. Does he control a third of Europe's cocaine distribution? It's believed so. And we're going to get a fantastic guest on that one. I think next week I'm going to get Lisa Traeger from Comedy Central, Netflix, and Conan to do Woody Harrelson's dad. So keep checking out the pod, guys. I love you. You're fantastic. Like and subscribe. Put a comment, man. If you like the podcast, you're new, put a little comment in there, man. Say some nice shit. Give me some five stars. Let's get this shit popping. Love all you. Thanks for listening. Uh, Bye-bye.